And we are back with another episode of Ladies First. We survived Clexicon, even though we did come down with some post-con crud. That said, I am Corey. The Clexicoff. Clexicoff, yeah. Elizabeth (laughs) is with me, obviously. And we're here to talk about cons today. Um, Fan conventions, obviously. Because while we did have a super awesome time at Clexicon, and we're going to talk about that... Um, some other major con news went down this weekend with Universal Fan Con. So, we are just having a very special episode talking about cons. Um, in case you haven't heard, uh, Universal Fan Con, it was set to be an all-inclusive, um, fandom convention, especially for people of color, LGBT, um, you know, if you're differently abled, um... Supposed to be set in Baltimore next weekend. Um, Some shenanigans went down, which we will get into as the show progresses. But we do want to point out um, there are some alternative events that some really awesome people have put together for everybody who is, you know, either they were a vendor and they can't get their money back so they're stuck going, or they were going to be an attendee and they can't get their plane money back so they're stuck going. So we want to plug those really quick. Um, Lomo Pro, it's a uh, talent representation group. They were supposed to be at the Universal Fan Con with cast members from Killjoys and The Magicians. Um, they are still going to be in Baltimore next weekend. Uh, they've got some stuff planned, which is really awesome of them. Um, they can confirm that uh, Brittany Curran... Tamson McDonnell, Sergio Asuna, Rizwan Manji, I'm really sorry if I'm butchering y'all's names, Hannah Levian, and Yale Tigiel, I'm yeah, really sorry. Yale Tigiel. There we go, what Elizabeth said. Um, they're still going to be in Baltimore next weekend. Um, as far as their scheduling goes, they're working on a final draft, but they will be involved with the Y Comic-Con pop-up on Saturday, and they're also going to have um, some Friday and Sunday programming, too. So if you want to check them out on Twitter, it's low underscore mo underscore pro. Um, they'll have some more events. And Elizabeth, uh, do you want to explain what Y Comic-Con is? <laughs> Okay, so why Comic-Con? So uh, there's a couple of different groups that made this happen um, as soon as the news broke that the con was being postponed. So uh, it's Nerds of Color, Black Heroes Matter, News Released Wednesday, Panthaware, and Carbon Fiber Media are all the companies that are tagged in the tweet. But um, So why Comic-Con is a pop-up convention. So they basically found an empty... It looks like... Um, it looks like a community center space, actually. But they, they found they found a space to host a pop-up convention on Saturday. It's at 1100 Wicomico Street. That's funny. <laughs> that's a great... Fu- that, that's funny. It's a pun. I love it. Yeah. Um, in Baltimore. I, yeah, I, just, I just noticed the address. But anyway, so there, so there you go. So in the 24 hours, or tw- you know, 48 hours, between when people started getting cancellation emails from the hotel... To now, Nerds of Color and Black Heroes Matter and company set up a pop-up con. And if you want more details on that, you can check out their Twitters. Um, oh, and we forgot the most important part. If you have a valid fan con ticket, you get free admission. Yes. And if you were a vendor, you will get a free vendor space. Which is really awesome of them. But let's break down how this happened. <laughs> 
Well, or, we still don't... Events leading up to this, I should say. Um, in 2016, a group of people had an idea for a more inclusive con, and they launched a Kickstarter that raised, uh, I think it was about 50, almost $60,000. And Universal Fan Con was born, and it was supposed to be held uh, next weekend. <coughs> And on Friday, the week before the con, when everybody's bought their tickets, some of the vendors have even shipped their materials over, a weird little notice for all the Kickstarters with hotels went out from the hotels saying the reservations had been canceled. And that snowballed into people asking, hey, what's going on, what's going on? And it led to the organizers of Universal Fan Con, and I'm doing air quotes here, postponing the con, announcing it via Twitter, and then, you know, the week before the con, and essentially all hell broke loose. (laughs) Um, Rightfully so. I mean, for good reason. Like we said, you know, vendors have purchased table space, Plane tickets, hotels, merchandise, you know, some of them had already sent their merchandise to the hotels. Um, Other people for cons, they'd asked for time off for work. I mean, there was a lot of money that people invested to go to this. And right now, it doesn't look like they had any plans. Just visibly looking in, it doesn't really seem like they'd had any plans to... um, Officially tell anybody. (laughs) And if the hotels wouldn't have started sending those notices out, uh, (laughs) we honestly can't say if people would have showed up at Baltimore and Uh. not really had a con. Okay, Um, I'm sorry. It's it's funny, but it's not. Like, I'm laughing because... There's connections. I know people have drawn connections to, like, DashCon... I want to say, like, DashCon actually lasted the weekend, even though we, like, resoundly and deservedly so mock it today. It Um, still actually happened. Right. This reminds (laughs) me more of, like, a fandom fire festival where they showed up and everything went to shit. Um, Basically, yeah. I am guessing that's probably what would have been kind of close to happening. But I want to backtrack because there's some confusion as far as, like, why were the hotels telling people this? Okay. You know what my favorite part about this story is? Is that cancellation emails are typically automated, especially for a hotel that's larger than, like, 50 rooms. Because you have, you know, like, like you're probably, a, especially, like, franchise hotels, you have software that does this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, technically speaking, there is a good chance that all of this came out because a robot sent an email. Because, like, an automatic cancellation letter. Like, it wasn't even a person who made this decision. <laughs> Well, and let's actually, let's go back to the beginning. Um, Let's kind of break it down for people who may not understand a lot of this terminology. Hotel blocks. Elizabeth, do you want to explain this? Okay. So essentially they were outed by people getting canceled. People who had gotten, um, people who were Kickstarter backers who had gotten free hotel rooms because of their Kickstarter backing. And these people started getting cancellation emails from the hotel. 
So that's what kind of outed this whole thing in the first place. Now, one of the founders or the board members went on Twitter and basically said, oh, well, we were going to let you know that we had made the decision to postpone the con. The hotel planned or the hotel found out about our plans and then they they canceled our, our block. So a ho- so a block of rooms essentially is when a company reserves a whole large group of rooms, usually depending on the size of the hotel, anywhere from like 20% of the hotel and up is considered a block. So it's when a group, say for a convention, um, rents out part of a hotel for guests. Now, when you create these blocks, you usually need to have a certain percentage of the rooms sell or be paid for um before a certain date or they may drop the entire block or sometimes they just drop the rooms you haven't sold so in my hotel this is the reason why i know all this by the way i've worked in the hotel industry for four years um the way my hotel does it is we just drop rooms that are unsold but as most hotels especially much larger ones they don't do that you have to pay for the all of the rooms regardless of whether they sell or not so you have, and then um, in some cases they will drop the rooms anyway and make you pay for them, so they can basically earn double income on them. So you should never make a room block unless you are a hundred percent sure that you are going to be able to fill at least the minimum, because you can get really screwed. And if you don't hit the rate of attrition, which is the minimum—that's the, the phrase for the minimum—you um, can actually get hit with a fee for this in some cases especially like really big hotels like you know stuff down in vegas would be like this so you actually could end up paying more or like um also there's late cancellation fees so if you try to cancel the reservation after the late fee deadline you definitely could end up paying like more than what you originally originally were quoted to pay it depending on how badly worded the contract is and how much money we're talking about it could be like in the thousands of dollars Maybe ten thousands, depending on how large the roadblock was. Now, this is this is important to like file away that piece of information about the cancellation fee before. Then just remember that because it's going to be important in a second. So, essentially, one of two things must have happened in order for these people to receive these emails. Either FanCon canceled all of these reservations because uh, they canceled it themselves and then is going to pay the cancellation fee, which wouldn't really make a lot of sense. Or, FanCon defaulted on the payment for the rooms, and the hotel gave them a grace period to get their money together, and they didn't, and so the room block was dropped because it was dropped for non-payment. So, considering that this happened suddenly, and a bunch of people got emails, and FanCon had not not said something prior, this is my best guess as to what happened with the hotel situation. So I wrote up a little I, I wrote up a little series of tweets explaining this, and I've completely lost control of my Twitter mentions now. Um, not that I'm complaining, because uh, it kind of blew up, but because it's the truth. Because what they're claiming happened, it couldn't possibly have happened that way. So, uh, like the, in the first the first chain in the tweet is. Um, or the first tweet in the chain is basically that the only reason that a hotel can cancel a block of rooms, like this is, and I tell you this is the only reason, is if the rooms are not paid for. That's it. The only exception to this rule is if something happens that's like a natural disaster. So say, for instance, like there's an emergency fumigation because they have a pest, a pest, they need pest control. Um, there's a natural disaster and a whole bunch of windows are broken or, you know, there's this water damage, things like that. Things that you couldn't possibly, it has to be number one, something that you could not possibly foresee. 
And number two, the hotel is now liable to the contract holder to rectify the situation. And this can mean a couple of things, but usually what it means is they need to find alternative accommodations and return all deposit money. So this is clearly not what happened with the situation. Like what clearly, like there's no way that the hotel would have found out from the convention center about the plans to postpone the event and then proceeded to drop the block of rooms. You can't do that. You can't, it's, it's not, you can't drop the block of rooms unless you have, like, proof that they can't be paid for. Because that's the only thing the hotel cares about. The hotel does not care that the adjacent event is no longer going on. The hotel cares that they have a hundred rooms that have a credit card on them and the credit card is invalid. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, that's what I, and that's what I said in the series of tweets. It's like, I, I obviously don't know for sure. Who knows? Maybe what they're claiming is true. Myself and dozens of other people who work in the hotel industry have said absolutely not, but who knows? Maybe it's a possibility. We have to say that for legal reasons. But anyway, so... I'm just frustrated by this because, you know, the hotel industry is a really large industry. It just astounds me that they thought that nobody would see this and be like, uh, that can't possibly be true. Well, here's where it gets worse um among the co-founders or you know person who touted being a co-founder and then later claimed that she was just a director of outreach um most of them they've admitted universal fancon have admitted that they were running at a financial deficit and the words personal accounts were in one of the creator's explanations. The same tweet that, that's the same series of tweets that said the thing about the hotel. She mentioned, she had, in there it said the phrase, personal, uh, we invested from our personal accounts. And I'm just like, whoa, uh-uh, <laughs> no, no, don't ever do that. Well, and we'll get to that a little bit later on about con don'ts, if you're planning one. Um, or just business don'ts. Yes. What? really bothers me is from all the accounts we saw this weekend of them trying to not very well get on top of the position is we realized we had a deficit when and the you know according to the co-founder we were just or had claimed to be co-founder we were just talking about um the earliest date we've seen is april 3rd so by their own admittance at least some of them, they knew there was a problem April 3rd. And up until April 19th, they were still, like, trying to sell tickets, drumming up sponsors, plugging the con. As if nothing was wrong. And they knew there was a financial deficit. When they could, I mean, I'm not going to say people wouldn't have been disappointed if on April 3rd they were like, hey, we have to cancel this con. Yeah, I mean, but by April 3rd, a lot of people would not have purchased their plane tickets yet. Or vendors wouldn't have, you know, shipped their materials over. Exactly. Um, and, you know, maybe some people would have, because some people try to do the month out thing as far as plane yeah. tickets go. But but also, like, like also the hotel, like, that's well within the cancellation period for any hotel. But they didn't. And it doesn't look like they were going to have said anything until a hotel algorithm and uh, <laughs> software 
process just was like it triggered the software process workflow and it just triggered it down the line of started to cancel things. Yes, informed people that some money was not where it was supposed to be. And then, then, even then, when people start saying, hey, something is shady going on, they handle it so poorly. Um, Whitley, we've reviewed some of his comics, uh, Raven, Pirate Princess, and Princeless for our site. Mm -hmm. He was tweeting about it, saying, you know, I do a lot of cons, so it kind of left my mind, but I had a little reminder, um, you know, 30 days out, hey... I'm supposed to have my payment, or not my payment, but my hotel and my flight booked for this, and I don't. He was um, a sponsored guest. They were supposed to pay right. for his. his you attendance. know, since he's a comic author, but they never got him a straight answer, and they never set anything up for him. Basically, Even when he was asking, the woman who was supposed to be booking his flight, apparently the day before that she resigned, said that she was still working on it. So she may not have even known. So there's obviously, I don't want to particularly definitively say there's a motive for this. Obviously online, a lot of people are upset who are impacted by this. Um, And the longer the weekend went on, the more details came out and the less the co-founders or the organizers were able to get in front of the situation and the more they started giving their own little personal accounts, kind of trying to pass the buck or a claiming lot of it, that they were fixing it when they weren't actually really doing anything but sending up some hot air and never definitively saying, we're going to get you your refunds. Okay, so I have to say, they obviously did not have anybody who knew anything about business counseling them before but now they got a pr guy because the way that they are wording these tweets is um very specific but if you if you are well versed in business jargon bs if you'll forgive my french basically every single tweet says um something along the lines of we understand that you're upset but we also lost money so really we're both in this together Here's a link to our Patreon. Um. That part isn't great to begin with, but the original, okay, they dropped an FAQ at like midnight Saturday morning. And then the original, they said all sales, all ticket sales were final. Mm -hmm. They were not going to offer refunds. That only counts if you have the fucking event. Yes. I was about to say like, this is actually true because even like Clexicon tickets are non-refundable, but they do have a little clause in there that says if the event is canceled, then the the uh, then the tickets are refundable in the case of cancel, and in some cases only for credit for another event, which is fine. Like you still get your money back, but like like the, all sales final only applies if you actually deliver the product. Which, if you don't deliver the product, it's fraud. Right, and Elizabeth and I had discussed. You know that probably is why they're calling it a postponement. Instead of a cancellation, or why initially they were calling it a postponement instead of a cancellation before they changed the no refunds policy. Somebody with an ounce of legal notice or an ounce of legal knowledge is helping them because the wording of these, the wordings of these um, supposed heartfelt statements, they're really not heartfelt. Like, 
You just it it reads like something that an HR manager wrote, and I would know because I've read a lot of these memos. Well, now <laughs> they <my> do. <laughs> now they do. Over yeah. the weekend, stuff they were posting, they were posting stuff, and then in real time, when people were reading it, were editing them. Oh yeah, like people weren't going to notice. Yeah, they would post statements, and people were taking photo receipts, and then sure enough, you come back later, it's been changed. How about statements um, they made how about- have been changed? How about the fact that they CC'd everybody, so they exposed 500 people's emails to 500 other people? It's just... And they hadn't even sent out emails, like actual emails, until yesterday. Even though everything was blowing up Friday, they had just made those announcements on Twitter. I yeah. was like, okay, but you still have to email everybody who bought a ticket. You can't just assume they're going to be checking the Twitter. See, that was the moment where I was like, something something bad has happened, and I'm not sure exactly what, but there was like, especially since there was like radio silence for about nine or ten hours at a time, I was just like, yeah, there's, like, a whole bunch of people in a, v- a lot of very frantic meetings right now, and a lot of fingers are being pointed at who's going to take the fall for this. And, you know, I mentioned uh, information being dug up by, you know, rightfully angry people online, and we find out there's a vice president of financial matters for them. Uh, do you have his name off the top of your head? Oh, Ty Pham? Yeah. Turns out, this dude has a history of crowd fundraising for cons and then canceling and not offering refunds. And I honestly do not understand how he hasn't been sued before. But uh, some of you might remember, and I actually remember uh, Pride Con. It was was going to be a first-year con down in L.A. I was going to say, like, since you've lived down there for a couple of years, I was just like, oh, I wonder if you knew about this one specifically. I, I just didn't, I didn't get a chance to ask you about it. Yeah, I remember PrideCon being announced and everything, and then, you know, we just assumed, oh, it was a first-year con, it got canceled. I wasn't aware at the time that he'd cancel it so close and then never offered refunds, and I still don't know how he got away with it. But the M.O. is so similar I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not actually accusing, but I'm going to say the MO of what happened with PrideCon and his Anaheim Akihabara Con thing he did. Okay, are... that, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. That one was not necessarily the same person because that person would like the ages True. don't match. We don't think it's not the same person. So okay, okay the only one we I'll can say, say that. for PrideCon for sure. And I'm gonna say PrideCon, that name's important, uh, because people actually pulled up some receipts from I believe what was it the contract they signed it was um for a panelist and and speakers I think right that actually had then this is for Universal Fan Con and again my apologies for um not doing my due diligence for research on the Akihabara Con but for Pride Con honestly I just found out today like I was I've been I've been going through the research so yeah like basically people are still working on uncovering this so this is just sort of like a as of today this is what we know PrideCon, however, was listed in that little thing they had to sign or notice that were that was sent <clears throat> to them. Yes. They, he, where it 
where where it should have said Universal FanCon, it said PrideCon. And, like, I, I saw this, like, literally make maybe 30 minutes before we started recording, because mm-hmm. somebody posted a Twitter. I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I my mean, God. If they you even... want a smoking gun link, that is, that looks pretty definitive. Okay, so that is the one we can say for sure that this person has been associated with both. Now, I'm sure that it's possible that this person is just very bad at their job. But what bothers me about this is that this person was in a position for financial advising. And all of the statements that have gone out have basically been like, we're not like, okay, so the one that the vendors got, I saw um, somebody was kind enough. I I retweeted them on the, the Twitter um, I will link to it when we post this article that um, one of the vendors was kind enough to post um, an email that they received where it says, we are working on getting your vendor's fees returned or something like that. And I'm just like, notice how it says working on and not we will be refunding you. Right. So um, there was another another user, uh, was it the Yo- Yoe Revolution? posted um a screen cap from one of their vendor their vendors agreement and there's a clause here that says rain shine sleet or snow will not close universal fan con the event will only be canceled in the event the baltimore convention center loses power and or closes i'm surprised that there wasn't somebody with a pair of bolt cutters around the back of the baltimore convention center i (laughs) to be honest (laughs) well here's the other thing with the baltimore convention center People tried to call to see if they were actually reserved. Um, so there's a, there's another event going on on Saturday the 28th, and now it may it may be in another part of the convention center, right. but that's and a little I know weird. Graphic policy had called them, and they got some kind of answer. It was like, well, yeah, they were, but we took them off the announcement schedule because we didn't want there to be any confusion. It's really this- odd answer. Okay, to me, okay, so business jargon translation. Basically what this means is, yes, we have, we know the exact answer to this question, but we're not allowed to tell you. Okay. And that's true, because this is, it's a confident, it's a business confidentiality thing. You can't give out information to people who aren't related to a business contract. Often that is, in some cases, people will stipulate that, and if they stipulate that, you have to honor that. Which, again, shady. Um, <laughs> it's, this is like, like... There's no hard evidence that they never booked the venue, but I'm not going to lie. This all looks really weird. A lot, like, be, especially since, like, the down payment for a venue this large and for room blocks this large, they're usually taken, like, months in advance, not weeks. Not a week, certainly not. Because mm-hmm. it's like, and also, it's a lot of money. Like, a big convention center, like the Baltimore Convention Center, there were people saying, like, there's a woman who does convocations there on Twitter saying that it's, like, 265000 for, like, a minimum per a floor. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh my god, their Kickstarter funding was 56000 and they didn't have any large sponsors? What happened? Well, it's... we'll, we'll get into uh, how to manage your funds a little bit on in the episode, but as far as... <laughs> I just, they knew they were running into a financial issue. They didn't say anything. Yes. And nobody is willing to give a straight answer on who is in charge of financials. They're being very careful with how they word on whether people are actually going to get a refund. I mean, I, I... 
I don't want to say it's shady because I want to give people the benefit of the doubt of like they had a good idea. They just did not have anybody on their team that had the required business sense to get this implemented. Exactly. There are certain elements, however, that um, I would be concerned about. All right. So, like, just to, to sort of, like, summarize, what I think specifically is shady about this is everything about the financial advisor and how this was mismanaged. Shady in the sense that I feel like this person was definitely not qualified to do this, and I don't know what they told them to make them think that they were qualified to do this. Mm-hmm. So there is there was clearly some either some fluffing of credentials or something like that or something must have like there there's clearly some something not right about how the rest of the board is being advised about financials that is one possibility the other possibility is that everybody knew from the beginning and they all made an agreement to just try to write it out and hope that they were going to make up the deficit with ticket sales it could also be both. It's possible that they that you have a lot of people who are inexperienced of handling this amount of money. That's the other thing is that um, if you aren't the kind of person who's used to handling like fifty six thousand dollars in assets, you know, just in your personal finances, you need to find somebody who is a professional finance officer who can do this for you, because it is amazing how fast fifty thousand dollars disappears if you don't know how to budget fifty thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about this but a little bit. My and... larger point was, sorry, just to, sorry, just okay. to wrap up real quick. My larger point is, is that a lot of the people who were involved in this, who went very hard for this, especially board members, I don't think, I don't think they're not, this isn't a scam. I don't think that they set out to scam people and steal their money. I don't think it's that. I think this is just like this glorious intersection of incompetence and bad luck and overambition. Mm-hmm. They're not bad people and they didn't intend They didn't intend for this to fail, but it did, and they are still responsible for it. Um, I mean, on that end, I would not be surprised to see lawsuits coming out of this. Oh, no. I would be shocked if there weren't. If you are listening to this and you were personally screwed by this whole situation, like, especially, I even put up on, I put on Twitter, um... But I don't have that many followers. But essentially, like, every person who's still going to Baltimore, you should take some of your time when you're all meeting up to discuss where you can crowdfund a class action lawsuit or even just crowdfund legal counsel while you're there in Baltimore. Like, just find, or maybe even, you know, put out some feelers. There may be a lawyer who will be willing to help you with pro bono work. They do have to do a certain amount of, um, of volunteer work for a year to keep their bar. So... Um, but you know, and they may just want to help you on principle. I've like, I would be floored if you couldn't find a lawyer who would be more than happy to help you, but find out what your rights are and find out what you can do to get all of your money back. Because there are a lot of people who are, who are extremely poor, who banked a lot of money on this con and they're out like two months pay. Mm-hmm. Like it's utterly devastating. And I want, I want those people to get helped. And the only way to do that is if you have something like a class action lawsuit, cause they can't afford representation on their own. Well, and also, like you said, they're at two months pay or for some of the vendors they've even said, is like, this is going to sink me. Yeah. It's like, I'm done. And I mean, the nice part if if you can say there's a nice part is how the community rallied together to, mm-hmm. 
you know, if the pop-up, uh, like I said, Lomo Pro uh, community on Twitter, you know, started going around to say, hey, any of you guys who are going to be vendors, you know, shoot me your information. I'll plug you to my audience. You know, we did that a lot over the weekend ourselves. So, yeah, on there that were a lot hand... Of, uh, a lot of publications, too, were just right. like, hey, were you... Are you a vendor? Do you have a story? Call us and we'll do you for an article and stuff like right. that. So on that hand, you know, it's very heartwarming to see that the community rallied around each other. But it should have never happened. Yeah. Never no, had to happen. Um, I do, though, I don't want this to be all doom and gloom because we do have to get to the end point again of what to and not to do for certain business scenarios. So I do want to have the happy part in here. Um, Clexicon. Yes. All right. So Clexicon is a great example of how to have realistic goals for your highly specific convention. The first year of Clexicon had an attendance of like 1,000 to 1,500 people, if I remember correctly. Felt like mm-hmm. about that. It was a good-sized con, but it was, it, you know, it was it was in a small room. Everything was all in one room. Um, there were four there were four little meeting rooms and then one big one for you know the celebrity panels. But it was it was cute. It was cozy. But it was you know realistic. And everything about that convention went off without a hitch, with some exception with some like hiccups with the press room. But like everything else was perfect. Like, the scheduling all went according to plan. There were always uh, volunteers everywhere to help you, and it was great. And so on this success, they built the second year, and it felt like it was about two to three times bigger than the first one, especially the crowds. Mm -hmm. But again, like, the location was great. The staff was great. They had some issues with volunteers um, wandering off and not necessarily doing what they were supposed to do. That's not really their fault. Yeah, that's not their fault. So, like, everything that the con itself was responsible for, from appearances to getting the celebrities in and out, to organize, you know, scheduling, like, what was it, like, a, you know, two dozen panels every day, mm-hmm. and making, and since half of us were on more than one panel, making sure that there weren't any conflicts, like, they are absolute consummate professionals, and the people who worked on Clexicon have all, whatever it is that they do for Clexicon, they have done that before successfully. Yeah, they, I mean, these organizers, as far as Clexicon goes, there is obvious um, industry experience. I should say successful industry experience. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I was there on Saturday when we were there. I know one of the floor managers, I guess, for lack of a better term, I saw her going to every single vendor's booth and saying, hey, how are you doing? And then asking, you know, how has it been for you so far? Do you have any comments you want to give us? Yeah, definitely. You know, and I was very impressed by that because she wasn't being overly, you know, just I'm kind of in and out. Like she genuinely wanted to know and she'd have a conversation with you. And, you know, she legitimately wanted to know what you were thinking about the con, if you'd had any issues, if she could resolve them for you. She wanted it and the Clexicon organizers, they wanted it to be a good experience for you. Yeah. Like, um, and yeah. especially, like, like there there were certain improvements that they had over last year that I appreciated. Like, they had a specific quiet room this year. Um, there were ASL interpreters in a lot of the panels, which impressed me. Um, and they were volunteers, so shout out to them. Um the overall event, so and I can I can attest to this because I was on crutches for a day and a half because <laughs> I'm dumb and I hurt myself in Vegas. 
it was easy to get around the con hall, um, even on crutches. So there was some thoughtfulness to how they organized all of this. There mm-hmm. was water. There were big water containers everywhere for people to use for free, so you didn't have to pay for water because that was a problem the first year. So yeah, like. Like it's clear that they when the, as they expanded, they also thought about like, well, what can we do to make this an overall better experience for everyone who attends? Well, uh, what I noticed because I actually didn't go last year. Elizabeth and Gretchen did. Yeah, when I was there this year, it was very much, you know, people were coming and going. There wasn't a lot of, outside of a few autograph lines, there wasn't a lot of congestion. Like, they kept the flow of traffic going very well. And, you know, they had people around. If you didn't know where something was, you could go immediately find somebody and ask. You know, volunteers were very helpful. I was yeah. very impressed. It's a second year con, and they were running like they'd been around for a very long time. I'll be honest; like they felt like they had their shit together better better than San Jose Comic Con did in some cases. And San Jose Comic Con is like a real professional sort of convention. So, like I every like I have to just be honest; like I'm just floored by how well Clexicon comes together. Mm-hmm. And how few problems they have because they just don't have that large of a staff, which tells me that the people who are working on this are just the best at what they do. Well, and like I said, you know, just in my experience, they were running like they weren't a second year con. Like they'd been doing this for at least a decade or so. Oh, yeah. Everyone had earpieces. Like, <laughs> and was, for the size jump they had between the first year and the second year, that's not an insignificant. Yeah, it went from it went from a ballroom location to a legit convention hall. Not like an extended ballroom, a convention hall with a vaulted ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like the giant spaces that you know like the smaller halls they have at Comic-Con, like those. Well, and but they filled it. And yeah. they still had more people show up on Saturday than they'd kind of been able to anticipate for. Yeah, they pr- we they they blew through their pre-sale tickets on on Saturday for one day passes. That's incredible. And they still had people showing up. Um, yeah, they still they were still doing at door tickets. Like, and even Sunday, like I thought, because in the last one there was a significant drop off on Sunday, but this year, no, we actually sold more stuff on Sunday than we did on Saturday. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean. You can run a new con well, and I kind of want to use this to segue into, like, our our recommendations, either from, like, us being small business owners, yes. or us having attended, you know, numerous cons throughout our time, or just our different levels of industry experience. And again, Clexicon was just an overwhelmingly positive experience. I would highly recommend, if you are the target audience for Clexicon and you can afford it, you know, I'd recommend you giving it a shot. I mean... They and... give scholarships, just like an FYI, yes. if you think that you might not be able to afford it. Uh, my my girlfriend actually was able to get one, but like, yeah, they have the... They have full scholarships for for different days. You could just only come for three days or two days and such things. Um, you just have to apply for them. It couldn't hurt to try. 
But yeah, it's like honestly, it's my favorite convention I've ever gone to. I I absolutely loved Flexicon. The, yeah, the, the depression from coming home from Flexicon lasted for like a solid two weeks. <laughs> I feel there's like I'm always, still entirely over it. There's always room for improvement, but I think you know, especially with what happened this weekend, it really put into perspective how well yeah Flexicon is run and organized and thought out, especially when this was only their second year. Um, but this does lead into, like I said, some do's and don'ts that you should probably keep in mind if you're wanting to either start your own little mini business or website or, um, you want to start a con or a meetup. And we're not saying you shouldn't, but we're saying there are some things to keep in mind. Um, so... How do you want to organize this? I feel like... As far as, like, if you want want to to do a con... Let's start with the cons first. If you want to throw a con, more power to you. There's a ton of small little cons that are almost just, like, premium fan meetups. They have... TGI Fem Slash. Yeah, I was going to say TGI Fem Slash. They meet normally in California. um, In the LA area. Most springs. Um... They're a great smaller con. It's almost like a premium meetup, but they're a great smaller con. They've been doing this for years. Everybody You're who not... is involved has also done other smaller cons, like they worked on yeah. Safari Con, which is another huge success. They have which, a ton again, of experience. experience, and they'll tell you if you ask them. It's like, you know, even a small con is a lot of work. Oh, it takes them, like, a better part of, like, six months to nine months to plan out each year. Like, most of the year is them planning for the next convention. You know, never, ever, ever underestimate the amount of work that having a... Starting your own con is going to entail. Like, assume you're going to be doing a certain amount of work and then, like, triple it. Also, and this is, like, this applies to, like, literally everything that you ever do, like... A major remodel project or a major major repair project on a car or something like that. Take what you think it's going to cost, add another 20%, and be prepared to add another 10% just in case. Mm-hmm. That's like this is what my this is what my parents have always told me. This is what my my uncle's a contractor. And the reason why you want to do this is because you never know when something's gonna go wrong and you never know when prices will adjust for marketability. Because there are some things that sway based upon a market price, and there are some things that don't. So what you may have thought you needed to do a convention two years in advance, when you finally get around to booking the hotel rooms, the price that you looked at two years ago is now twice what you expected it to be. Right. And there's no way for you to predict this in advance unless you do all the bookings two years in advance, in which case you need to have all the money up front. And that's another thing. You need to have people involved who can get business loans. And you need you to also... have that capital up front. Exactly. What you need with to have Universal FanCon, they didn't have the capital. Yeah, you need to have that business capital. You need to be able to pay for it almost in its entirety or very I say like 75% funded is a good goal at the bare minimum. You need to have that business capital and also you need to organize that that business capital into an LLC. The first thing you do when you start up a convention like this is you organize it into a limited liability corporation. Why? So you don't go bankrupt if something goes wrong and you get sued. Uh, Which, might I add, we haven't been able to determine if 
Universal Fan Con has done. Yes. Which I could have be been looking into this. Because, yeah, because they have they've taken all the information off their site because, of course, they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I hope that they did not pull the money from their personal accounts without putting it through an LLC first, because otherwise, all of the people involved who invested their personal money are very, very screwed yeah. in more ways than one. But I know, also, like, I, uh, I'm getting like the fear cramps just thinking about I know. this. But also, be prepared if you're doing a con. Like, you are not going to be in the black anytime soon. Oh, God, no. Um, yeah. Be prepared like, to operate major, at a loss. <laughs> yeah, major conventions. Okay, so, like, like Fanime is a pretty big, a pretty big, pretty well-known con. Um, and Otakon, they're both run as nonprofits. <laughs> and because that's the only way that they're feasible. Basically, they make just enough money to do another one. But the reason why that they do this is because it keeps the community alive. Because the people who do these cons obviously do care about, you know, fandom stuff, especially medium, you know, medium-ish con, medium-sized cons like Fanime, which is like maybe ten thousand people. So like, they want to keep the vendor community alive because you need to be producing more work and more things for people to buy, and it keeps, you know, it keeps fandom going. But like, this is not a venture capitalist investment. You will not be making mad bank off of this endeavor. Just go in expecting to make just enough to do another one. Also, again, start small. I think this is yeah. an issue that really plagued Universal Fan Con, was they were trying to be Dragon Con or, you know, C2E2 or New York City it- Comic Con out of the gate. PAX West, yeah. It's just, it's not feasible unless you have a Moneybags investor that just doesn't care about making that back. Which they did not, which, by the way, a major red flag for a convention is if you don't recognize any of the sponsors as being big hitter companies or a company that could put up a lot of business capital. So, yeah, stay within your limits. I know everybody wants to come out and, you know, do the big blockbuster of a con but it's just not going to happen like here's the deal the first year i went to Clexicon, i was like this is the greatest con ever it was perfect i will never want anything about it to change and then the next year i went to Clexicon and i was like this is the greatest con ever it was perfect and i never want it to change like get bigger but like i know that my opinion will continue to change each year that i go because they currently have, like, if they do three years in a row, then they have probably my loyalty for life if it improves three years in a row. Mm. But that's my larger point is, is you could have done this con in a ballroom with tacky decorations, and that wouldn't have mattered because what this con was actually about was the vendors and getting them visible. And for like, the people to actually show up and interact with each other. Yeah, there was, um, I'll actually, I'll include the tweets um, in the article, but there was, um, there was someone who couldn't actually go to the con, but she was talking about how her, her vision of this con, she was just like, yeah, it'll be in a small ballroom with tacky decorations, and she's like, you know, the aisles will be wide enough for, to be wheelchair accessible, and it'll be mostly people of color, and there will be, you know, a Rose Quartz cosplayer in a wheelchair, and she'll have um, Steven Shield as the hubcaps, and like, I was like reading this whole thing, and I'm like tearing up. Because I'm reading it, because I'm like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, like, then they started trying to make this, like, a Comic-Con event or a Dragon-Con event, and I'm like, I feel like at some point they sort of 
lost sight of what the con really should have been focusing on. Right. And it's still, the con is about the people. Absolutely. When you strip away all the flesh and all the glitter and sparkly lights, the con is about the people. And I think that's why Clexicon has done so well, because they understand first and foremost, it's about the attendees. Yes. Um, I agree with you in that I think Universal Fan Con lost sight of that, and they just wanted to be like this big best that's proved we can do this big epic event, and it does not seem like they had near enough capital for it. Which leads me to I, my other point. Unless you want to say something really quick. Oh, I was just going to say, ambition is not a dirty word, but there is nothing wrong with living within your means. Right. My next point, though, is know how many, or know the funds you have. Understand how far you can go with that. And plan your purchases accordingly. Do not over-extend yourself. Don't. You know, we know f- concretely from that Kickstarter campaign, they raised a little under $60,000. That's not a lot of money. I know it Somehow, sounds like a lot. They were it's planning, more than most of us make in the year. <laughs> yeah. Somehow they were planning to have an entire floor at the Baltimore Convention Center, which, as we discussed earlier in the episode, was between $200,000 and $600,000. Yeah, depending on the event. Then they have a non-profit rate. We also know they had hotel blocks. So, Elizabeth, I'm sure you can attest that's not cheap. Um, Really, you can just do simple math on it. It would be... Um, you know, however much each room was times the number of rooms. Typically, they give you a group rate that's maybe maybe twenty percent below what you. It's twenty percent the, the the rate you would be able to get if you just got it yourself, which they call the rack rate. So twenty percent below the rack is pretty standard for a group booking. Sometimes they'll discount it as much as thirty to forty if it's like a block of like half the hotel. But we're still looking at the thousands of dollars. Yeah, we're looking at, like, for 100 rooms at $200 a piece, that's, like, what, $20,000? Right. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> and it's a we lot know of money. for sure they rented out a movie theater for a screening of Infinity War. And I'm going to tell you right now, you know, Jeremiah works at a movie theater. He was able to give me, he's like, yeah, that could have easily, for Avengers opening weekend... That could have easily been a couple thousand to five thousand dollars. I'm like, you only have sixty thousand dollars in your budget, and you're going to blow fifteen percent of that on an Avengers screening. Yeah. So you have to be realistic about where your funds are coming from, the fact that they are finite, and what you can feasibly do with them. Yes, you have to be brutally honest about that. Also, also, if you make a big screw-up like these guys did, don't tweet out, by the way, we're still doing the screening of the Infinity Wars, so come join oh us. God. Because, you know, because you know, the first thing that people want to do after having money stolen from them is to sit in a room and watch a movie with the people who took their money from them. That was maybe one of the most tone-deaf aspects of, but hey, <laughs> we still have a movie theater rented out, and we'd still love to see you guys, and we have a ton of swag, and I'm like, are you... Are you shitting me? <laughs> oh, 
oh god, they're gonna drag them out in front of the screen and tar and feather them or something. Like, did, <laughs> did you somehow think this was just all gonna be chill and people were gonna show up like, man, sucks about Universal Fan Con, but let's have a good time with the movie. Okay, so here's here's my thing about this. I do support, in a way, like, the mentality of, like, well, we should make the best of this. Yes, you should always try to make the best of a shitty situation. However, never let making the best of it stop you from being angry when you've been wronged. Make the best of the circumstances, but still fight back. Because you deserve your money back. Yeah, if they want to make the best of it, give people their money back. Yeah. Um, and like honestly, yeah, I, I'd say I'd say class action lawsuit worthy. It is just mind-boggling, but again, a lot of these tips we've talked about, you can use for you know others like meetups. You know, um, you can have a meetup. There's a lot less if you don't want to go full on with a con. You could just do a one afternoon meetup. Research what you're going to need. Make sure you understand if it, if I think it's going to cost me this much money, I need to have an extra 30% tacked onto that. Yep. You know, cover your legal liability. And this is the other one I wanted to talk about. Um, I forgot. Do your proper due diligence on whomever you work with. Yeah, so... When somebody tells you that they were responsible for this con or that con, or, like, really, this is, okay, so I feel like a lot of people who are involved in this may have never necessarily worked in, like, a management position where they do interviews. So, um, a background check only brings out a criminal record. But what you need to do is, when you're working with something like this, with this much money involved, every single reference on that person's sheet should be called, and then you should hop on LinkedIn, look up all of those names, and make sure that those are real people. Make sure that those aren't just somebody's buddy that you called and he pretended to be his former boss. Because, yes, mm. this is absolutely a thing that people do. Like, if you are, especially, like, anything with finances, an accountant, a lawyer, CPA, whatever, do, if it's somebody who can, if, if it's somebody who screws up, if they screw up, it will financially ruin you, you had better know everything about that person's qualifications before you hire them. Like, that's, I, you, you I need, you need like to know who works have... for you. I feel like they could have avoided so many problems. But, again, if you're going into this, you can avoid a ton of problems, too, if you do your proper due diligence on whoever your partners are going to be. So Also, like, I, I know that, like, paying, paying professionals would be an issue with the budget this small. There are always people who are willing to help you for free. Like, as much as we really shouldn't, like... Most business professionals who are fans are totally willing to donate their time to you. We get like, it. Always, yeah, like, always look for help in more than one place as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is just really any kind of enterprise you're wanting to do. Um, meetups, there's a little bit of leeway for that. But, I mean, if you're wanting to do, like, a professional website, if you're wanting to do a con or start your own business, get your legal ducks in order. Get Always. your funding in order. And be brutally, yeah. brutally honest in what it's going to cost you and how much work you're going to have to put in. And if make you can't sure you do it, out... then don't. Make sure you suss out legal liability as well. Make sure mm -hmm. that your documents are all worded in such a way that if you, one of you goes down, you all go down together. Because that's the only fair way to do it. Make sure that when you sign financial documents, they are signed in representation of the LLC, not you personally. 
Like, I'm so that's another thing I'm worried about. I was just like, who signed all their checks or authorized their credit cards? Because, oh boy. Oh, I don't even. Anyway, like the bottom line. The bottom line is, is that the the lesson to take from this is like, like I know people like to make fun of the business major because they're like, oh, it's you don't know what else you want to do or you can't do anything else. Um, business is something that you need to learn. There is no such thing as good business sense. There is learned business sense. I have good business sense because I work in a very professional industry in finance. So I have learned through the four years I've worked in this industry how business works. I still have much, much, much to learn. But you can't just be, you comment, business sense is not the same as common sense. You need to be professional about it. And if you feel like you're not up to the task, don't take the chance and find someone who can help you. You, you have to put the work in. And I'm not saying, like, the con organizers didn't put the work in. I mean, you have to put your, make sure my ass is covered, so my event is covered work in. Yes. You and need to protect it, part yourself of it is, and everyone involved. Yeah, part of it is learning good business sense. Part of it is, you know, doing the due diligence on whomever your partners are going to be. Part of it is, you know, getting an LLC form. Part of it is making sure you have a freaking accountant if you need it. it you know, doing the publications. Acknowledging that there is going to be a lot of work you have to do. And then you have to decide, am I going to be able to put this work in? And if you can't put the work in, then maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Exactly. But if you can put the work in, I wholeheartedly wish you the best of luck. I hope someday we can attend your con. Or, you know, your meetup. Or, hey, if you're doing your own site thing, drop us a line. Yeah. Like, we want to support good business, but and we all need to support each other, but we also need to make sure that those of us who do know things about business, we need to help other people succeed. And prevent, need to make things, sure they have the... prevent yes. things like Universal Fan Con from happening again. Exactly. So uh, that's it for us this time. Um, it's our con special. It's a little bit negative. <laughs> But we, I, I felt it was important, and Elizabeth did too, for us to discuss this as it was happening. Um, we'll be back for our next episode. Um, I think Sahar will be back with us. It's either that or the Hunger Games episode, which we keep trying to record. But you know, know. when you have three three people with with conflicting work schedules, we'll get it eventually. It's yes. okay. <laughs> we'll get to it sometime. If it's not the Hunger Games, then Sahar should be back with us, and that's always going to be fun. So yay! Thank you guys for tuning in. You know, let us know what you think about what happened with all the stuff going on. Either, you know, what your Clexicon story was or, you know, if you got affected by the cancellation, sorry, postponement of Universal Fan Con. I mean, even if you're a vendor, you know, drop us a line in the comments. We'll try to plug you on our Twitter. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, don't forget, uh, like and subscribe to us on iTunes Check out our other podcasts on the Fundamentals. Uh, there's the Fundamentalist on the best book snobbery, and beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics. So we have plenty of stuff for you to listen to. And I think that's all for us. So say goodbye, Elizabeth. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>